It's Matthew 22. We were, we've been talking about two places. The Word of God needs to be in two places. Though we emphasize two places, remember this, that what is in two places? It is the Word of God, and then he tells us how they need to be there. What about the Word of God? Where, how does it need to be? What needs to be inside of us? So if you'll turn to Matthew, and I'm trying to get there too, the uh, 22nd chapter, we'll begin here talking about the Word of God, kind of just really maybe read a verse or two that we went over last week, that what the Bible really is. The Bible is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word to mankind. We've said this before. Romans, in that same context where we've been in Romans 10, he said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There is no other way to get faith than to hear from the Word of God, to hear it and accept it. You have to hear the Word and accept what's said to have faith. And so when we hear the Word of God, we are actually hearing God's words to us. That's super important because we need His Word in our heart. If we're going to trust Him we have to trust his word. If he said he did something through the redemptive work of Christ or whatever it is, we have to hear it, then we have to accept it. But what are we really accepting? Just pages, written things? No, we're actually receiving what God says to us. And that's important. So if you will, in Matthew 22, a familiar verse of Scripture, the, the, the setting here starts in verse 23 and goes through 33. Jesus uh, had been, really, they were trying to trick Jesus. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. They, they thought they had him stumped, and they said, you know, this woman, you know, she had a husband. He died. She didn't have any kids. He had a brother she married him, so on, you know, and there's five of them been married to the same woman. They didn't bear kids. In the resurrection, whose will she be? And it's interesting what Jesus said here in verse 29. And Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. My margin says you're deceived. Actually, the King James said you do err. You're an error. And why? He said, not knowing the Scriptures. So what's he talking about here? The Scriptures. Not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. In other words, what God can do. And how are we going to know what God can do, but really through the Scripture? It gives us the parameters to understand how God will do things, how He'll work, and what we can expect. And then it says, for in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. In other words, there is no reproduction. But it's interesting, he said, you err not knowing the scripture. And then he said, for in the resurrection they don't marry nor are they given in marriage, but are they like the angels of God in heaven. He said, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you 
by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, he said, goes on to say, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. In other words, it's not when we die that, you know, we get buried and we're just in the ground and we're waiting for the resurrection. No, he said he's the God of the living. You don't cease to exist when you die. You just go somewhere. And people need to realize that. They depart and they're with Christ or they're in hell. But he's the God of the living. And so he said, Abraham's not dead. Isaac's not dead. Jacob's not dead. They're not waiting to be resurrected. He said, you're in error in this area. Think about it. Jesus told religious people, you're in error in this area because you don't know the scripture. How many people teach that when you die, you're like dead like a dog until the Lord returns back? Paul said it this way. He said, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is needful for you. So he talked about when he would leave his body, he would go to be with the Lord. That's exactly what the Lord was saying. These people don't cease to exist until the resurrection, but your body does get resurrected and transformed on that day. And it gets connected back to your spirit. And then it's eternal, whether in heaven or hell. Because the Bible teaches a resurrection of the just and unjust. In other words, what part is resurrected? If you read Paul's writings it's in, in the Bible, it's the body. Why is this important? Jesus said to them, you know, they're trying to trap him. And he said, you're in error not knowing the scripture. But there's a profound statement right there about the scripture I believe is very important for us to look at because he actually makes a statement and enforces what the scripture are. Remember? Faith comes by hearing, right? What does it come by? Hearing what? Not just the Word, the Word of God. Not just the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. No, not just the Word. It's not just, it's not just something written down. It's the Word of God. It is what God has to say. And we need to understand faith comes by hearing and hearing what God has to say. How can you get faith in God? By hearing what He has to say. Where are you going to find what He has to say? You're going to find it in the Bible. And here's the thing. There is no other way to get faith but to hear it from the Bible or what God has to say. And here's what I find fascinating is people say, well, that scripture is not for today. Healing is done away with. Being filled with the Spirit, whatever it is, that's done away with. That's not for today then basically you're saying that what God said is not so, and if people then 
say, okay, I'm going to put that aside. Do you know what that puts aside? Faith. That puts aside faith. It removes faith from people. And there are different groups that say, I believe they're cults. They say, well, you know, the Bible is true only as, as far as it's rightly interpreted or, you know, translated. In other words, you need other books to make sure that the certain parts in here are right. What does that do? What, that takes away faith. Whenever the Word of God is diminished or the Bible is diminished, and what is the Bible... When it's diminished, then so is your faith toward God. And he said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. In other words, we partake of everything he provided for through his work. You know, we call that his grace. But you still have to receive it by faith. People don't get saved by grace alone. It's by putting faith in that grace. So if, if you hear somebody say, well, ultimately just everybody will be saved, that's, and, and they can do what they want to, that's not in the Bible. That's not real faith because real faith comes by hearing what God says. Where can we find what God has to say? By what you think or by what I think? Could you imagine the conclusions we could come to? You with me? So notice this verse right here. Verse 31. But concerning the resurrection of the dead. But concerning the resurrection of the dead. Now I'm not telling you to mark that off. Because it's in there. But you could do this. Put parentheses. After that, where it says, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? In other words, he said, have you not read? What is it that he was wondering what they read or, you know, what they were reading? What was it? Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, then he quoted a scripture. Notice this. He said, have you, have you, have you not read what was spoken to you? Now let me ask you this. Was that verse specifically written or spoken, and you know, it was spoken by God that it was written down, was it just to these guys? No. He basically was telling him, you need to go get in the Scripture, and haven't you been in there? And if you get in there, he said, you'll find what was spoken by God. And he said, have you not read have you not read? What are you reading? You're reading what was spoken to you by God. Right? Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So what was spoken could be read. So 
to read something means it has to be written. Right? Jesus found the place that was written, and He said this, these scriptures, or this word from God is fulfilled in your ears today concerning Himself. Think about the scripture, how relevant they are to life. Jesus found a scripture from Isaiah 9 that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. And he said, today this is being fulfilled in your ears, and I'm the dude. That's pretty relative. I said, that's pretty relative. I mean, that's, you know, they're not obsolete. You go read the scripture, you find that type of thing happening again and again. Something God said a hundred, a thousand, or thousands of years before coming to pass later. The scripture are very relative to today. And they are what God says. So if I wanted to know what God was saying to me or what he was saying to people, the primary place I'm going to go look is in the word of God. And so, there is a thought here of things being relative. And we're going to talk about it, I believe, as we move on here. But you think about this. The redemptive work of Christ, what he bought, what he paid for, what he did 2,000 years ago in delivering you from the power of the enemy, giving you love, paying for whatever you need, was for the whole church age. So though it was written back then, it's relative until He returns. For every generation, what He spoke was penned, and when it was penned, we can now read it. And what are we reading? We are reading what He has spoken, and what He spoke in the Word is really what He has done or will do. Notice this again. Notice verse 31, halfway through. Have you not read what was spoken to you? Spoken to you. You could say it like this. I have a personal letter from God to me. Every human does. Muslims do. Somebody said, you, you mean the Quran? No. The Bible. But if somebody doesn't want to read what was spoken to them by God, they have that choice. But what would that do? It would do the same thing Jesus said it would do back then. He said you would err not knowing the Scripture. So people could get into error. What would be the remedy for error? Truth. What he has said. And so, from here we can see that the Bible is not just another book. It is a book of things penned to you by God himself. It is a book to you that is relative today. Turn to Romans 10. 
Romans 10. We need to understand how relative the Bible is today and how relative it will be tomorrow and how relative, I mean, it was relative a thousand years ago, but it is very relative today. I mean, it is, it is something. And so here in Romans 10, where we've been reading, we'll begin in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What word is he talking about? He's talking about the Scripture, but really we should say it's what God has said. Or what God is saying. In other words, God has put this book together by divine inspiration so that we could read it and know how to deal with the devil. How we could read it and walk in love. How we could read it and we could learn how God would hear and answer us. We could read it and learn to walk with Him. Amen? So notice he said, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Then verse 9 says, That if you will confess with your mouth. So confession of the word in your mouth is key. But in times past, there's been teaching on this. And people just thought, well, if I just say it enough, it'll happen. And that's not true. <clears throat> because how many people say Jesus when they hit their hand and, on, with a hammer and they say, Jesus, oh, Jesus Christ, or whatever. And that, it didn't mean they got saved and the angels rejoice in heaven. You know, it's like, hallelujah. Wow, my neighbor got saved. He didn't get saved. He is just the same as he was before he said that. The difference is, is the other part of the verse, not just saying it with your mouth, but truly believing what he said in your heart. Notice verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you then will be saved. You can't just do one or the other and expect to get results. You have to believe what he said in his word, the work that he did. Notice this in verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Go down to verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That verse basically tells us a step of getting the Word of God in our hearts. Haven't you ever heard somebody, you know, on maybe here or on the radio or on TV, and they're preaching, and you just, you go, wow, you got something. You left. You went, oh, there's substance there. You, you become confident in God, in what He did, who He is to you, what He will do on your behalf right now. Where did you get that? You got that as you heard the Word of God and accepted what was said. But we need to understand this, you know, because I know this. 
some people say, we're waiting for God to do something, or God used to do this, but He doesn't anymore. That is really not true. He does do it. We just have really put the Word aside in that area and just expect Him not to do certain things. We just go, oh, well, He used to do that, but one of these days He's going to do it again. We need to believe who He was, He is. He is relative and the same today. Notice this. The Word needs to be in your heart, and the Word needs to be in your mouth. How does it need to be in your heart? You need to believe it. You need to believe what He said. Then how does it need to be in your heart or your mouth? You need to say then what you have believed concerning what He has said to you. It changes the Bible when you recognize it is a letter, really, of God speaking to you. It changes it when I recognize this is God saying something to me. This isn't man's idea, and we went into great detail about this last week. But it's not just man's idea, it's God. We accept it, we believe it, and then we should declare it. Faith will always be relative. Faith will always be relative. Now remember, it needs to be in your mouth. You need to believe it in your heart. Where do you get this faith in your heart? By hearing what He says. Do you get it just because you read a bunch? No. You get it because you accept what you read. You accept what He said. That's what the 16th verse said. Notice this. But they have not all obeyed the gospel or the message. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing. So the potential comes when you hear the word of God. You have to choose to believe what you hear. Faith is not so much what you possess, it's what you do with what you hear. In other words, do you choose to accept what it says above everything else? What it says, meaning God's Word. Do you accept it like it's fact? When you accept it like it's fact, then you'll begin to, if he said you are in good standing or you're loved, you can read that a thousand times, but you need to accept it. Then what would that mean? When I don't feel loved, then I refuse to think on the not feeling loved, and I choose to think on the fact and believe in the fact that he loves me. That is really what believing in the heart is. You accepting above everything else what he had to say. But so many times, and, and don't get me wrong because I believe faith is proper to be taught, 
But we've heard people say faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And it's left the implication that you have to hear something 50,000 times in order to get faith. If that was so, why did people hear Jesus one time and have faith? Why did they hear Jesus, you know, maybe a few times and get faith? Somebody said, because he's a better preacher than you. I'm not arguing that, but if I preach what he preached, you could get the same faith the same way. It's because people accepted what he said. Look at the crowds that didn't get something from Jesus. He would preach the same message to them, but they would be bothered by who he was. You know, he says he's this. They would be bothered by the truths he was saying. And the power of God would be there to heal them, like in Luke 5, but they wouldn't get healed. Then somebody else would come with faith, believing in what he said, believing in who he was, and they'd get healed and the others wouldn't. You with me? So we just need to accept what he says. Because what he said is true today, just like it was true yesterday. The problem is we've put a lot of effort into hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Would you tell your kid, well, you're going to have to hear me say this about a thousand times to really have faith in me. You'd accept, expect them to believe things you told them wouldn't you like i love you oh will you please say that like a thousand times i love you i love you i love you i love you and then finally like okay i got it no you would expect them to accept that testimony from you right away and and they could and you can and i can but we need to recognize this testimony in the Word of God is relative to you today and to me. It is still what God has said to you and me. So do I have to hear it a hundred times to believe it? No, but sometimes I'll tell you hearing it different ways will knock stuff out of your life. Because sometimes people hold to other things, attitudes, ideas because they think the attitude or idea is correct and right so when they hear the word they'll go no but if they start hearing different truths in different lights or ways you know in angles then they may go you know what i'm seeing this a different way what are they doing they're letting go of their own idea and then they're accepting what god said some people just don't accept what God says. You know, yeah, it's for me or whatever, but I've just been rotten. So what they basically do is they don't accept it based on themselves. And that's not good because you just basically let yourself get talked out of it. Based on you and not on him. You with me? And so... The word needs to be in your heart. You need to accept it. But it doesn't just need to be there. It needs to be 
in your mouth. How? By saying it. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews, the third chapter. I touched on this last Sunday night, but I, I may go into a little more detail here. If life is like train tracks, you know, and um, they were laid, so to speak, from the time Jesus was born and died, you know, and a set of train tracks went, and they were already laid, and they ran from the time of Jesus dying and rising to the time he returns, those tracks, let's say, are already laid. You know what I mean by that? In other words, they run that length of time. Well, let me make this statement. There are things that are laid out that have been laid out from the time Jesus died and rose to the time he returns. They are already there. No matter where you jump on the tracks, those things are already there. And they're already relative to there. Meaning this, if the Lord doesn't come for a hundred years, anybody who enters into life at that time, the Bible be, will be relative, the Bible will be God speaking to them. It will be true, it will be fact, it will be so. The same book that we read today is the same book that came over on the Boats, you know, when they came to America a few hundred years ago for religious freedom. You know, the people who came here came for religious freedom, though they tell us, well, they, did, they weren't religious, they didn't, wasn't about God. I told the young adults the other night, I said, it'd be interesting if all the people who are in schools who say, well, it's not about God, they teach it's not about God, it's not about the Lord, it's not about God that they came here. That's just people throwing this Jesus business in there. And then when we get to Thanksgiving, they make the kids dress up like pilgrims and Indians, right? Have you ever looked at the word pilgrim? It means one leaving a land for a sacred land for religious purposes. That's what a pilgrim is. So we dress up like pilgrims and we don't want God in our school, but you don't even know what a pilgrim is. Somebody says, uh, John Wayne, pilgrim. Nah. No, he was way after. You with me? People just have goofy ideas. But the thing is, the Bible, if it came over and it did on those boats, it was just as relative then. It wasn't more relative. It was just as relative then as it is now. It's like train tracks. They're there, and wherever you enter in, you enter in with these things that are established from this time to this time. Here is another thing. This, this faith we're talking about, is relative to all generations. It's not a church fad. The only reason certain things are probably emphasized at different times in the church over other times is because the church is lacked in an area. 
and we shouldn't lack in any area, but sometimes the church has, so you'll see an emphasis. But ultimately, in the best scenario, we shouldn't have to have that. But that being said, here is another fact that is relative from the time Jesus died and rose again till the time he comes back. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Who's he talking to here? People who are saved. People who have received the Lord. Have we received the Lord? You know, the people here, for the most part, I believe so. Well, that being said, what if you went to a church 600 years ago or 1,000 years ago and ran into a bunch of people and they said, well, we've received the Lord, so this would be relative to them too. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider. So believers need to consider what he's about to say. Now, if he put period and ended right there, he'd just say, consider. We wouldn't know what to consider. But he said, consider the apostle, which just means the sent one, and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He is the apostle and high priest of the church. Well, in one sense, yes. But it doesn't say that. The apostle and high priest of his second return doesn't say that. Doesn't say he's the apostle and high priest of your love. He doesn't say any of it. He said he's the apostle and high priest of your confession. So many people have a view of Jesus like this. He's sitting on the throne. He's been sitting there for 2,000 years. Sitting there. Looking. He looks at us. You know, because he's watching over us. I see them down there, angels. And they're like, yeah, he's all, I'm watching over him. Awesome. Cool. Just sitting there. And he's all, give me a lemonade. Thirsty. Got to keep hydrated. You know, one of these days, I'm, you, and please water my horse, because one of these days I'm getting on a white horse and I'm going back. And they're like, that's awesome. Yeah, we've been waiting on this, Lord. He's like, me too. I, I've been sitting here for 2,000 years. You don't think I'm antsy? Like, he's been doing nothing for 2,000 years. Just sitting there for 2,000 years. Sitting, sitting, sitting. Now let me ask you this. How many people realize that when he died and rose again, he didn't just go sit down. He actually left an earthly ministry that he was very diligent in and started a heavenly ministry that he has been involved with from the time he died and rose until the day he comes back. And he's a high priest now. He's the mediator in heaven for you and me. And there are a few things that he mediates that we are sure of. The Old Testament priests were a type and shadow of this new one so we could look and see what he would be doing in heaven. And for the most part, we thought he's just sitting up there. 
But he's not just sitting up there. He's actually actively doing a ministry, but it's not an earthly one. It's a heavenly one in the sanctuary of heaven. And we know from reading the book of Hebrews, there are at least three major things that he gets involved with. One, as a high priest, one is our giving. You can read Hebrews 7. He presents our gifts to the Father, our giving. Then our deeds are our works or our acts of service in this life. And our words, which would include prayers. Isn't it interesting what the angel said to Cornelius when he brought salvation to him? He said to him, he said, the Lord saw his almsgiving or his deeds, charitable deeds and his giving and saw his prayers. Kind of matches with what Jesus sees and what he gets involved with. But what's interesting is he gives a major emphasis to his present ministry in heaven. And this is why I said, just like his word has been relative from the time of his death, burial, and resurrection to the time of his return and forever, here's the other side of this. This ministry has been active since then too. This has been active the whole time. God, well, Jesus is God in the flesh, but Jesus has been on your side and has been on everybody's side, so to speak, that's been saved and had this ministry that we could cooperate with. We could cooperate with this ministry. His ministry. Let me ask you something. If he were on the earth today and he was not on the earth 2,000 years ago, and this was his first appearance. In other words, we happened to be alive when he was on the earth. How many of you think that would be really cool? Meaning, it didn't happen 2,000 years ago. His first coming was now then he's going to die, you know, after three and a half years. But we just happen to be the people around then or now. How many of you have ever thought, well, if he was around now, I'd be totally involved in his ministry? Wouldn't, if he was here today, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be? I would. If he was here today, alive, I'd be like, I'd like to be one of his Okay, if I couldn't be one of the 12, maybe I could be one of the 70. If I wasn't one of the 70, I'd be one of, one of the other ones that followed him around from city to city. I would. If he was here, I would want that. Do you know that not everybody when he was here was for that? But there were a lot of people for that. Do you know in his earthly ministry not everybody cooperated with it? Do you know he is not doing that earthly ministry per se? He does it through the church now. But he has a new one. And here's the thing. We can participate with this one. We can participate with this earthly ministry. 
or this heavenly ministry here on the earth. As a matter of fact, He wants you involved in this. In the Old Testament, we would bring, if we were alive then, we would have brought like turtle doves for this and we need them and then they would give them to the priest and they'd kill them and offer them to God, the high priest, and we would give certain things to them and they would be, you know, our go-between before God. Well, we don't bring, you know, I'm not asking you to bring like two turtle doves next week, you know, for the sacrifice. What I want, you know, you to bring is what he wants you to bring. And it's different now. Those were types and shadows. Now we still have a high priest. You still have a high priest. His name is Jesus. You do. He is your Lord, but he's also the high priest of the new covenant. And what's interesting is, is we are involved with him, but there is a way to be involved, like I said, through giving. And you can read the book of Hebrews, and you'll see statements about with such sacrifices he's well pleased concerning deeds and giving. But here's an interesting thing. Turn, if you will, to Proverbs. Proverbs 18. Jesus has this heavenly ministry. It's connected to what we read in Romans 10. Haven't you, probably most people in here at some point, have or will pray with somebody to get saved? You want them to believe something and declare something, you get totally excited. You're like, man, they got born again. But Jesus is totally involved in their salvation. The Holy Spirit is definitely involved in that work too. But they get saved by them doing something. Cooperating, as it were, with spiritual laws and principles. Can I say something? Whether you know laws or not, they are so. Romans, the third chapter, talks about the law of faith. Whether I like it or not, it is a law. Somebody says, well, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. The only way you're going to be under grace is by faith. And Paul said, it, he said, you know, talked about praise, you know, and boasting and stuff. He said, why is it excluded or done away from in our lives? How we can boast in our own deeds, our own abilities, our own ways. He said, it's done away by a law. He said, by the law of faith. Is done away by that law, the law of faith. Here is an interesting verse in Proverbs 18.20. Actually, we'll read verse 21 first. Death and life are death and life that's pretty broad. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it or learn how to use it will eat the fruit. It's fruit. Notice, notice what he said. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
And those who love it or learn how to use it will eat its fruit. Go back to verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Jesus is the high priest of the fruit of your mouth. You know, that's not an uncommon term. In Hebrews 13 it says, Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise unto God, which is the fruit of your lips, giving thanks. Now here's what I think we should really look at here, because remember this, Proverbs is called the book of wisdom. We've called it that. And if you ever have a chance, and I'm not asking you to do it and go peek in my Bible, but you'll see green markings all over through the book of Proverbs. If you'll read the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about uh, knowledge and wisdom and gives answers to people to get them out of trouble. And the one thing it talks about a ton, that means a lot, is the tongue in your mouth. How it can separate friends how it can satisfy you, how you can be snared, how it can bring health, how, you know, it can bring sweetness to people and just, you know, it can be like honeycomb or it can cut deep. We're made in the image and likeness of God. God started this whole earth, you know, and the revamping and the work of it by saying, so is this relative always? Yeah, it's always relative. Here's what we need to recognize here. Notice he said, you get it by what you say with your mouth. This doesn't mean you say it one time. And we've already looked, it has to be connected to a belief system that is grounded out of God's Word. It is a process of life. Notice what verse 21 says, then we'll notice what it doesn't say. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it or learn to use it will eat its fruit. Notice what it does not say. How many of you believe God is big? And when we say big, we don't mean, well, he's like seven foot three. He's like 90 feet tall. We, when we say God is big, we mean He is powerful. Right? We serve a big God. Somebody's like, has He been eating a lot? No. When we say that, you know, does He have one of those genes where your body just doesn't stop growing? He's got to be big at this time. No, when we say we serve a big God, we serve a mighty God, we're talking about powerful. Po we know He's powerful. We know He's mighty. But we know Jesus has a present day ministry and it's connected to our words. But notice this, what this does not say. Death and life are in the power of God. Death and life are in the power of God. Death and life are in His hands. 
Notice it doesn't say death and life is in your wife's hands or what everybody else says. Because, you know, what's happened is people have got off into excess and they'll say, now don't say that over me. Why didn't Jesus say that when they called him a drunk and a wine-bibber? Now I've got to be a drunk because they said that over me. They disqualified him and his character. They said, he's not the son of God. (laughs) He didn't care. He knew who he was. He said, I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. And he went on. And so, so many people have gotten off base and they've thrown this whole thing out and they went, because, you know, they were so caught up. Well, don't say that over me. Don't speak that about my life. Or they'll say this, you know, they'll want people to say stuff. You know, if you say this good about me, then I'll be blessed if you say this good thing about me. That's not true because the Bible said death and life is in the power of your tongue. Jesus said you'll have what you say, not what somebody else says about you. Can words shape us if we're not careful? Yeah, you could accept something that's wrong, but it doesn't matter if everybody said something wrong or if everybody says something right. It really comes down to you. And it comes down to me. And it doesn't come down to me just saying one thing. This is a life process that you put into motion based on how you believe. And death and life has been put into your hands. And how has it been put into my hands? Uh, Right there. And for so long, you know, people, people loved this teaching some years back. And then people went, well, we're beyond that. You can't ever get beyond it. The problem is, is we just looked at this without looking at other things. But life and death has still been in the power of our own tongue. In that wild, God is all-powerful, but He has chosen to work in line with you. Amen? So what would we do? We need to recognize there is something we need to believe, and then there needs to be something we say, and we need to say what He says about us. That's what I think, you know, this message of grace that's been going around, I think there's excesses in it too. But there's some good stuff there. But no message should be divorced from other messages And sometimes people divorce messages when they need to be coupled together. You with me? You know, there will be, you know, there will always be a new thing coming. But they're not anything new. They're truths that have been set forth, but some just haven't been presented or they've been neglected. You know, haven't you ever eaten at that favorite place where you ate for so long? And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't want that anymore. Nobody's ever done that? You're like, I could eat this the rest of my life. And then now you're like, I know. And then it takes a while to go back and start eating it. There should be a good diet for the Christian that is well-rounded and not just down one path. Because these things all work together. 
You with me? So remember this. Your faith will only go to the height of your lowest words. 